The Gadget Guy on Cambridge 105 Radio. Thanks very much to Julian Clover for the last couple of hours. Welcome to The Gadget Guide. And this evening we're going to be talking smart gardening, uh, all things to keep your uh, keep your pots, plants, lawns and everything else watered. Uh, but first, a quick look at this week's technology news. And we'll start off with a bit of security related stuff. And that's if you've got an Apple device, whether that's an iPhone, an iPad or a Mac uh, in their various different flavours, um, go and check that you've got the latest security updates installed. So for iOS, that means you should be on version 15.6.1. And if it's a Mac, that's either a, a desktop or a laptop, um, you should be on Mac OS 12.5.1. Uh, both of those updates released last week. Uh, that's because there are a couple of serious security vulnerabilities that were discovered, but also being exploited in the world. So um, effectively, you, if you go to a malicious website or a website that's been compromised, um, then that can run pretty much anything an attacker wants on your device so do go make sure you've you've applied those updates make sure you're on the latest version of the different apple operating systems shouldn't shouldn't take more than a few minutes and if you're on android and windows do check those for updates as well uh last week was uh, was it last week microsoft's uh, regular update note week before last so microsoft's updates have been out two weeks now uh, for windows operating systems uh android tends to come out depending on your phone mac- manufacturer around about the end of the month so worth checking that one as well yep certainly on oneplus i got uh, got august's update earlier this afternoon so uh, it does seem to be uh, gently rolling out across the different uh, different manufacturers heading on to gaming now uh, and sony's facing some uh, some legal action uh, this is involving playstation game charges uh yes so the the two big gaming platforms of course playstation and xbox uh playstation gamers have potentially been overcharged for the last six years according to legal claims that have just been filed in the uk and uh, sony are gonna have to answer that one um basically because they charge a 30 percent fee to developers who want to sell games on the store that impacts the cost of the game because a lot of the developers will pass that on to the customers um so of course this could mean that basically you've paid more for a game on playstation than you might have on another platform yeah this is a sort of constant battle really isn't it between the platform providers and the the app developers or game developers we've seen it with apple and their app store google and the uh, the android play store yeah all, all of these things obviously it costs an amount of money to run those services to review the applications to provide the infrastructure and the the platform owners say well we need to recoup those costs that's yeah, that's part of the deal of us providing uh, Android as a, a platform is that we get the the income from that. On the other hand, app developers flying the the other flag, which is, hey, we've put all the effort into to building this game or this app. Um, why, and particularly for ones which come with an attached subscription or an attached service, you know, why is it that Apple or Google or PlayStation, Sony um, should get the revenue from, from our ongoing service? That's nothing to do with de- uh, delivering the app itself. So I, I think one that's going to, to rumble on with all the big platform developers as, uh, as time goes on. I suppose the other challenge is, you know, if you can walk into a high street retailer that sell physical copies of the games on DVD those do still exist um and if you have a playstation that has a dvd drive yep um 
And it's cheaper to do that and physically walk away with something than have it digitally delivered, I guess, is one of the things that has got uh, consumers a bit riled up and, and is the foundation of this uh, particular lawsuit. Yeah, and that that's something that's been true for a little while across different genres. Uh, there, there was the, the, the classic one where it costs more, it certainly used to, and I, I suspect still does cost more in, in many cases, to go and buy a movie on something like Amazon uh, Video, if it's not included with uh, with a Prime subscription, uh, it costs more to buy it digitally than it does to have the DVD or Blu-ray of that same movie shipped to you the next day. I guess sort of Amazon's argument there is, but if you want to watch it tonight, then you're willing to pay that premium for uh, for, for the digitally delivered copy. The the flip side is surely it should be more expensive to to ship a physical good um, halfway across the country to your letterbox. I'd like them to do with, and what would win a lot of people over, I think, is if they started doing with movies like they do with CDs already. If you buy a music CD, you get a digital delivery immediately yes. and the CD arrives in the post in a day or two. I'd love that with movies. And I'd, I'd even pay a premium of a little bit more, not a whole lot more. Maybe a pound or something along those That's lines. That's the sort of, of number yeah. I was thinking, yeah, sort of like 10% would be a, a, a reasonable amount. You know, if it's a, a four-disc box set, yeah, that's, you know, a chunkier thing to deliver to me. Um, but that that would entice me probably to, to consider that rather than... Looking in the supermarket, and quite often that's the best place to buy a DVD or a Blu-ray yes. disc. Yeah, or or even if you don't mind a uh, um, a, a sort of second-hand model, then you know, Amazon Marketplace or, or eBay yeah. or similar similar platforms. You know what? Many people buy a film, they watch it once or twice, and and then sell it on. And you know, in the same way as we have second-hand bookshops, there's second-hand DVD shops. <laughs> Uh, much, I'm sure, to the uh, to the studio's dismay, um, you can get some real uh, real bargains if it's not the latest release that you want to see. Absolutely. Otherwise, you know, wait, wait six months, and that thing that was thirteen pounds to rent will probably be available to stream for free for, for four or five. Yes, or, or in, even included in your existing package if you've got a streaming package. Yeah, very much so. Um, moving on to uh, to Tesla, the uh, the car manufacturer, um, they uh, they're in the news uh, at the moment because their full self driving feature, and I, I think this is probably one of the industry's big biggest misnomers because full self driving is is not really full or self driving, um, but it is the most advanced version of uh, uh, of their driver assistance package. Um, that is increasing to a whopping fifteen thousand dollars. Uh, about ten thousand uh, pound, starting from this September fifth of September. That's a twenty five percent price hike on the previous price. Yes, uh, the, uh, they, their argument has always been that yeah, the full self driving has has increased in price several times in in its history. The argument has always been, will they keep making making it better? Yeah, it's something that that they keep on improving, and and they have. It, it's much better now on cars that. You know, shipped with an earlier version uh, and have been updated. Yeah, it's getting closer to <laughs> getting closer to that uh, sort of. You can just switch it on and it'll take you to your destination. It's not there yet, 
uh, and no no car manufacturer is, uh, but it's nonetheless a, a pretty impressive bit of technology. If you're um, sort of driving along, it'll keep you in lane. It will even take exits off of the motorway, but you still, as the driver, need to remain in control. You need to uh, remain alert. You can't trust it. It'll take some of the effort out of the drive, um, but you still need to be responsible for the vehicle at all times. It is interesting when you consider that on a laptop we have an operating system we might pay money for in some way, shape, manner or form, but the vendor provides updates. Suddenly we've got a laptop that's got four wheels because it's got a big screen in it anyway. It is a few laptops in there, yes. And, (laughs) And we pay quite a lot more for the software updates is an interesting conundrum but i guess that's possibly the way a lot of tech goes for a while until it becomes mainstream and maybe the differentiator at some point will be when we've got enough smart electric cars out there that the differentiator between your box with four wheels and my box with four wheels is which vendor provides the software for the best price Yes, and I, I guess an interesting concept might be whether those get split apart at some point. Uh, at the moment, cars are very <laughs> much down the the Apple world of yes. the you know, the one manufacturer produces the 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 hardware and the software, uh, and that's pretty much universally true for cars. I wonder if there'll be a thing where you can go and buy a a, a box with four wheels from somewhere and then by the by the self-driving software from somewhere else um i suspect not anytime soon at least in a mainstream way just because the amount of integration with the, the different sensors that that you need to to gain awareness of the road so, and the, that, the conditions car, everything's can bus so <laughs> there are slightly more standards sometimes in car electronics than than other electronics in the world but yeah interesting if you if you bought a bmw and you ran mercedes as um uh, self-driving system yeah that doesn't warrant thinking about right now but uh, could be interesting yeah very very much so um meanwhile heading uh, into the the more mundane world of mobile device charging um you may may have heard in the news that the uh, the european union is bringing in a requirement which is that basically any mobile device must charge using USB-C. It can do other stuff as well, um, but if it's if it's rechargeable, it, it has to be powered with a USB-C cable. Um, the idea there is that you stop everyone having to buy 10 new chargers every time they upgrade their and phone. And cables. And, and cables. Um, and so hopefully we reduce e-waste and you can just turn up anywhere and it'll be a single charging standard. Um, The UK government has announced they are not currently planning to duplicate that requirement. Apple, of course, very much opposed to it. They've gone down their own route with Lightning Connector on iPhones, albeit not iPads or MacBooks. Um, And indeed, the latest MacBooks have brought back the the MagSafe connector. Uh, But the UK currently saying, no, we don't plan to to bring that in. I I have to say this is probably the, the least impactful decision uh in the world in that i i can't imagine there are many many manufacturers who are going to say oh we'll we'll produce the uk version with our uh, our sort of custom charging connector and then we'll produce a different one for the eu market with, can, can with the USB-C connector if, if a, a country said uh, when you arrive at customs and they look through your bag and they go oh you have something that hasn't got USB-C well terribly sorry you can't bring that into the country yeah and it, that that was never going to be the case no. i guess the the potential difference might be that devices that are marketed primarily for the us market 
um, will be perhaps easier to import into the UK as a, as a distributor um, if you don't have to worry about that. So, so maybe we'll see devices that are launched in America coming to the UK a little earlier than, than they do to Europe. That said, I suspect that most manufacturers are just going to standardise on, on USB-C and, and be done with it. It's, it's not particularly difficult to do, although supply chain issues are a little bit of a problem there. <laughs> yes. Uh, sticking with things Apple-based, um, uh, Apple staff are currently fighting back against the company's return to the office order. Um, the chief executive, Tim Cook, has told employees around the world uh, that they should be returning to the office at least three days a week from the 1st of September. Certainly uh, that's for headquarters in California. And um, quite a lot of Apple staff are petitioning, demanding location-flexible work. I th this is a discussion that I think is is only just starting, really, because a, a lot of folks obviously are working in a very, uh, particularly in the technology world, are working in a very flexible way at the moment. Um, but at the same time, we're starting to see maybe some of those longer term uh, stresses of everyone being remote that what didn't didn't particularly rear their heads while everyone was coping with the first couple of years of COVID, um, those sort of longer-term relationship development, maintenance, uh, creative thinking uh, kind of areas just starting to suffer a little bit with everyone being at home all of the time. And I think we're probably going to see more and more companies saying, you know what, some of the time it's better if we're all in the same place. We can make it work most of the time and then some of the time it's even better if everyone's working from where they want to be. Um, but there are some activities where being in the same place as each other is a little bit better. And I think we're going to see uh, quite a lot of uh, companies having those discussions with, uh, with, with their people as well. I guess it'll depend by industry and also the type of workforce and um, for yeah, sure. see how that goes. But uh, Yes, uh, some people might be voting with their boots and uh, <laughs> job shopping based on what the company's working arrangements are these days. Uh, yeah, sticking, uh, sticking with Apple things, um, uh, there's been an announcement that Apple have now added the M1 MacBooks to their self-repair scheme. This is a, a new scheme where Apple have actually officially started allowing repairs to Apple products. Yep. So the idea here is that while you've always been able to get your uh, your Apple devices repaired at an Apple store or by by an Apple store and uh, and their supply chain, now they will sell original, you know, the the proper genuine uh, manufacturer spare parts to authorized uh, repair outlets that aren't Apple. So yeah, that that means that. Now, if you get your uh, your mobile phone screen repaired by one of those authorized uh, repair companies, you know that it's going to be as good as the original uh, the original screen that came with the device. Certainly, in the past, there's been a lot of slightly less quali good quality uh, replacements used. Maybe your phone lasted a year before you broke the screen the first time. You get it replaced, and then a few weeks later, it, it smashes again just because it's a, a less robust screen. Um, the M1 Mac notebooks are now being uh, now being added to that scheme as well. Not a complete range of repairs, but some of the common ones. So things like the display, the, uh, the case and battery, the trackpad, all of those uh, can be repaired by one of their authorised uh, repair outlets. Um, other bits, you still need to take it back to, uh, to Apple. Um. It looks like 
they might actually extend that beyond authorised and actually provide parts to ah, neat. keener end users as well. So, uh, yes, if you're, if you're willing to, they might actually provide those. I'm not sure what that does as far as warranty is concerned. You probably find there is no warranty if you destroy your device trying to repair uh, yes. it. Yes, yeah, of course. Um, and then finally, the uh, the the OnePlus 10T. Uh, so this is the latest uh, latest device in OnePlus's range. It's, it's their kind of boring update. Um, they they tend to do big uh, big launches and then a little bit of an update in between them. Um, and the 10T is the uh, the the latest in that one. Um, broadly, the same as the OnePlus 10. Coming in not at the top end of the uh, the price range for for mobile phones and Android devices, uh, somewhere around the six hundred and thirty pound mark, uh, depending on how much uh, storage and RAM you put on there. Um, and the the kind of headline figure really is their charging. They've always OnePlus have always been uh, very keen on promoting their dash charging, which is uh, the ability to get it up to eighty percent charged very quickly. Um, and uh, the the 10T is no uh, no exception to that. 150 watt charging, which is is quite incredible. So about five times quicker than uh, the than the iPhone. Um, reckon it can get up to uh, to 80 percent in under 20 minutes. So uh, if you just want to top up your phone quickly and uh, then run out the door, um, is uh, is pretty impressive. Talking about charging your battery on your phone, there's now new recommendations from some manufacturers that don't go to 100%. Yep. Um, I know that Samsung have implemented that in software on the Galaxy range, and it will charge to 85% if the phone is powered on. If yes, you want um, to charge to 100%, turn the phone off and then let it charge, basically because there's less stress on the battery that way. And certainly on, on my OnePlus, I've got the uh, the slightly older OnePlus Nord. Uh, it will nail with the latest uh, version of Android. If you plug it in before you go to bed, it will charge up to 85%, sit there for most of the night, and then it knows roughly when you get up or when your alarm's set for, and it'll just bump it up to 100% in that sort of hour or so before it thinks you're going to need it for the day. That saves it from sitting at 100% all night uh, and, again, reduces, hopefully, the uh, the battery wear by a little bit. That's a little bit creepy. Your phone knows when you get up. Well, it knows when I've got set the alarm clock <laughs> on the phone for. Um, you, again, true. you can override that. You t you tap a button on the uh, on the alert, and it just says, "Oh yes, I'll charge it all, all the way to a hundred hundred percent." Anyway, after the break, we'll go out into the garden. Cambridge one hundred and five Radio. Saturday nights on Cambridge 105 Radio is all about the soul. Hi, this is Jamie Stocker. Join me here on Cambridge 105 Radio playing two hours of classic, rare and new funk and soul regular features and playing the very best in new music across the funk and soul genres. The Funk and Soul Show with Jamie Stocker, Saturday at 8, right after Chris Brown on Cambridge 105 Radio. Just your average night. Fraser's upstairs gaming online with his mates. Sophie's streaming her favourite tunes in her bedroom. Mum's downloading the latest drama box set. And Dad's liking kitten videos on his phone. But this isn't your average night. Thanks to City Fibre's full fibre network, everyone's gaming, streaming and scrolling at breakneck speed. Join Cambridge's gigabit revolution today. Head to cityfibre.com slash Cambridge 105. 
CKLG accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, director of CKLG, responsible for business services. Throughout your lifetime, your personal and financial situation will change. Maybe you've just arrived in the UK to work or are looking to invest in property. Perhaps you're making plans for your retirement and are looking to reduce potential inheritance tax liabilities. CKLG accountants ensure you receive bespoke tax advice tailored to you and your family's needs along the way. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk. CKLG Accountants, your partner in business, your partner in life. You're listening to The Gadget Guide and it's time to talk smart gardening. Um, first, fair disclaimer, I'm useless at gardening. So, so don't expect this... any green-fingered advice here. <laughs> well, maybe this will encourage you and um, get you doing a little bit more green stuff. We'll, we'll see about that. I'm, I'm struggling <laughs> to keep about four plants uh, alive that somebody bought for me. And so far, they're, they're, they're mostly still there. I went away on holiday last week and... They're looking a little bit sadder on my return than they were when I went away. And I'm sort of taking that as a good thing because it meant I was doing something not actively bad before. Um, but we'll we'll see whether they come back to life or not. Yeah, so maybe one of the first things you need to think about is some digital assistance and uh, possibly a few apps. There's plenty of interesting apps available out there. Uh, and just skim through App Store of choice and search gardening or plants and you'll find plenty of apps uh, kicking around. One of the ones that uh, obviously is uh, fairly UK specific, the Royal Horticultural Society has an app. It's free of charge, um, which will uh, tell you useful things like um, how you can grow things like fruit and veg, always a useful idea. Um, give you some uh, advice on when to sow things how oh, to how, yeah so what to do at this time of year all the sort of useful bits of information that are you know not necessarily um common knowledge to someone without doing a bit of research um the the, 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 app, the other app that i i really like is yeah. PlantNet. Um, uh-huh. So if you haven't if you haven't used PlantNet uh, before, it's definitely worth grabbing. And this is basically the answer to the question of is it a weed? Um, <laughs> yes. So if you have a thing in your garden and you don't know what it is, then open up the PlantNet app. Uh, again, it's free, uh, advertising supported if I remember. Uh, and you take a photo of the thing that you want to identify, and then it'll ask you whether whether what you've taken a photo of is a leaf or a flower or a fruit or a, that, that sort of thing. Yep. And then it'll give you its best guess as to what it is. Now, it, it slightly amazes me that they can differentiate the different varieties of plum but can't work out whether something's a leaf or a flower uh, <laughs> but that aside it is remarkably good um generally speaking it it gets it pretty much spot on and if it's not sure it'll give you a few choices um so if it yeah if it's a couple of plants that look very similar to each other it'll say well i think this one's more likely but but maybe it's a that instead so um, have have you now removed every weed from your garden oh uh, no 
<laughs> no, definitely not. Okay. And especially given the aforementioned holiday, they've they've taken the, the advantage of the time to sneak back in there. But it does tell me what thing is a geranium and which bit's just the grass growing next to it. Um, so plant net, definitely worth grabbing if you're uh, if you're not entirely sure what's uh, what's growing in your garden. Uh, I think we'll have to look garden. at gardening tools in a future show, having just got myself a very neat tool for removing dandelions. But that's another story. Uh, one other place that you can go to for a wealth of content and information information is YouTube. Just search for Gardening UK on YouTube and you'll find plenty of material free of charge available on gardening, tips, tricks, advice and people showing you how to do things. Invaluable. Now, next up, we'll talk a little bit about uh, outdoor ideas first and then move towards some some maybe indoor solutions if you're a little bit uh, more space constrained, maybe you don't have a garden that, uh, that you can work with. Um, and we'll start off with irrigation piece, of course. <laughs> the the promised rains have not yet arrived in Cambridge. Um, I, I noticed that today was forecast to rain for most of the afternoon and of course it didn't. Um, so how can you keep your garden nice and uh, moist keep the plants alive um, being mindful of conserving water we don't currently uh, as of today uh, have a hose pipe ban in Cambridge but of course we are very limited in the amount of water that we uh, that we should be using at the moment so what can we do to save a little bit of water on our gardens so as I spoke to Julian on drive a little bit before we got started um, he has one of these and it's a water butt so a water butt is just a large container that is designed to collect the rainwater hitting your roof. And so of course, this, this is a sort of double benefit, isn't it? Because it's, first of all, meaning that you don't have to use drinking water to water your garden. But it yep. also reduces the amount of rainwater that has to go into the sewers that yep. then has to be processed by sewage plants if you don't have a soak away and can cause flooding and, uh, and you know, sewage overflows and all of those bad things that we've been hearing about in the news. So it's, it's sort of that double benefit. You're saving it from, from the drains and putting it to good use. Yes, so water butts come in a wealth of, of sizes, designs, colours, shapes. Uh, you can get things that look like uh, classic barrels to just things that are black containers. Um, starting from about £25 for a 100 litre was about the cheapest I could find a 100 litre water butt that came with a stand and a tap, basically everything you needed apart from the diverter that you would splice into the downpipe that's going to collect the rain uh, as it comes down the downpipe and divert the water into your water butt and put the leaves into a filter so you can actually pluck the leaves out. You don't want those going into your water butt. Now, a lot of them do come with those uh, the, those attachment kits. Um, it's worth, worth bearing in mind, if you do use one of those attachment kits, it will tell you in the instructions you want to keep the pipe level because the idea is once the water butt's filled up, particularly over the winter, any extra rainwater should just go down your downpipe as it yep. would have done before. Um, if you if you put the pipe at a little bit of a, an angle, then either you won't get the rain into the water butt or you'll get all of the rain in there and then it'll start <laughs> overflowing and then you'll start getting sort of the green slippery stuff over your patio or, or wherever it is that you've put the, uh, put the water butt. You can join them together. So if you yes. yeah if you don't want one of the big ones but you have got room for two of the smaller ones um, maybe standing a little bit closer to the wall um, you can link to them together again keep everything nice and level and then they'll just do the right thing. So I promised Julian we'd do some maths and this is uh, how much water can you collect. So looked up what Cambridge's average rainfall per square meter for the year is 
on the Met Office's website, and that said about 575 millimetres over the 12-month period. Now what right. we want to do is work out your roof area and then multiply the average rainfall by the roof area. Now, presumably, this mean this is going to depend a little bit if you're in a detached or a, a you know, detached, semi-detached terraced yep. house on which bits of downpipe go to which bits of roof. Because, <laughs> because certainly for, for my house, the front all goes from from me and my neighbour all goes into mine, and the back all goes into theirs. So do uh, ah. do have a quick bit of a look uh, at who gets which bits of yes. uh, of rainfall. So work out how much of the roof is going to the downpipe you're going to collect. So, for example, if it was a 50 square metre area of roof, we're using nice round numbers to make things easier. 50 square metres times the 0.575 metres of rainfall, we convert everything to metres, gives you around 29 cubic metres of water, but you've got to take into account evaporation, overflow and losses. They reckon work on 80%, so that's about 23 cubic metres or 23,000 litres of rain potentially hitting that 50 square meters in a year which is a lot of water i mean that's 23000 liters yeah now and that that obviously you, that's a swimming you can't pool. reasonably <laughs> store that can you that's a swimming pool um yeah. so they recommend for water butts for a, a small to medium garden start at half to one percent so 100 to 200 liters and work up from there if you've got a large garden and you've got the space have more tank space yeah, uh, and you can if you if you're remodeling the garden or something like that. You can also get underground rainwater storage tanks, yes. but those are starting to get really you know, more involved, more expensive, and you you really want to get uh, sort of engineers and architects and, and those sorts of folks if, involved if you're if planning you're that. Going for that, then you can even consider using that water to flush the loo. Yes, yeah, and, and and indeed a lot of new developments are building yeah. that in. Yes. Anyway, watering lawns is quite different to watering beds, borders, pots and planters and requires different solutions. We're not going to necessarily get into lawns tonight because there's quite a lot we can look at on sprinklers. But if your lawn has gone brown, don't worry. When that rain eventually arrives, the lawn should recover. Yeah, and it, it's pretty much worth just saying, you know what, that's a lost cause. You know, <laughs> don't, don't worry about having don't, a nice lush green lawn. The, the bowling green lawn in your back garden, yes. Exactly. Maybe it's the, the plants, flowers, shrubs that you want to concentrate your, uh, your attention and your water on a little bit more. Yeah, now your hose and your sprinkler can use up to 1,000 litres of water now. That's about 12 bathtubs an hour. So it's not the most efficient way to water and will also drain that water butt very quickly. And I mean, that's six minutes on your 100-litre water butt and it's empty. Uh, so smart irrigation starts to look at everything from the sprinklers and the nozzles, how we actually get the water to the plant, as well as sensors, detection systems to decide how and when we're actually going to do the watering. And that, that's the key bit here, isn't it? A, a sprinkler will basically just spray water everywhere, uh, whereas really you want to target it more at the plants that need it, not the bits of soil that, that don't have plants that you care about in, not the fences, not the, the patios, the decking, anything like that that's just going to make the weeds grow a bit more and get it closer to the, the roots of the plants that you care about rather than letting it go to waste effectively. Yeah, so there's two types of smart irrigation technologies, weather-based and soil mo moisture-based irrigation. Weather-based uh, basically has a small weather station that looks at the temperature, the rainfall and the sunlight. And then moisture-based looks at what the wetness of the soil actually is. So you'll actually have probes in the soil. And then based on either of those two technologies, you've then got two types of watering and that suspended cycle irrigation which basically uses a timer and an automated schedule that won't 
water if the moisture level is too high or if there's been rain. If the so it's basically saying water the garden at 10 o'clock at night except when it's, it's already damp, rained. It's rained. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then water on demand that tracks the moisture threshold has a range set from high to low and will water as required to keep the moisture between those set points. Ah, very nice. So if you want to get started with this, and we should say, by the way, if we don't have that hosepipe ban at the moment, but if we do, then garden irrigation systems do generally fall under uh, under that category of, of not being allowed uh, under most hosepipe bans unless you're feeding it from your water butt or something similar to that. So yes. if you're feeding from the water butt, it's fair play, you can do what you want. Um, if you filled it up with, with drinking water, then you need to stop using that uh, if we get a hosepipe done later in the year. So getting started, something so, simple. Yes. First of all, if you've got a garden tap, that's your source of water if you haven't got a water butt. You probably want to put a controller on that, and a controller is simply an on-off valve for the tap. So it attaches to the tap, and then hoses or sprinklers or irrigation systems attach to the timer. Right, so this is just going to turn the tap on and off automatically at certain times of the day, maybe depending on what the, the weather's doing. Even simpler than that, the spring-loaded countdown timers, Gardena do one for £24, hose locks equivalent is £19. You set the dial on the uh, on the valve between 5 and five and 120 minutes, and the tap will stay on for that length of time. Right, so if you did use something like a sprinkler, that would be a good answer at that point. Yes, absolutely. It's going to reduce the overrun. It's going to uh, shut off the water if you've forgotten about the sprinkler, and it's going to help conserve water that way. You can then move up to digital controllers. Gardena's uh, Water Control Flex is 38 odd pounds, which lets you set between 1 and 99 minutes every 4, 6, 8, 12, 24, 48, 72 hours. Or you can go a bit fancier, Bluetooth Control from about 70 pounds. Basically, do all of those settings on your phone. Uh, but you can also then integrate those moisture sensors to actually um, decide whether to water or not. And that's going to be the where it really starts getting efficient, isn't it? Is where rather than just saying, I'm going to turn the tap on once a day regardless, it's now I'm only going to turn the tap on when I need it, particularly maybe if you're going away on holiday, you don't know what the weather's going to be like while you're away, you can water the plants without wasting any water if it does rain uh, during that time. Absolutely. And then the top end of the range, the... Uh Proper smart-based control systems. Gardena's is about £150. Hose lock's about £98. These then have a hub that attaches to your Wi-Fi network or to your wired network that allows you to control the water from anywhere in the world, that you've got an internet connection, set up schedules, start to integrate those sensors and do a lot smarter things so you can get right up to that level of control. Very nice. Well, that's how you control it. Next, we'll be talking about how you actually deliver the water to the places it's needed. Cambridge 105 Radio. On Sunday afternoons, relax with Jazz Today and Pete Butchers. Join me for music at the cutting edge. Mainly new releases, many on small independent labels. The stuff you rarely get to hear elsewhere. I'll also be keeping a watching brief on jazz events in and around Cambridge, as well as chatting to local and visiting musicians. Jazz Today at 4pm every Sunday afternoon on Cambridge 105 Radio. Go on, challenge yourself. 
Wow, Emily, that dinner was superb. And since when did you become a cheese and wine expert? <laughs> Thanks. Ever since I went to a cheese and drink pairing masterclass at The Swoop. Where? The Swoop. It's a great new place on Green Street. They sell an amazing range of local products, most of which is sourced from within 20 miles of Cambridge. And they run a fabulous series of masterclasses. We went into their secret cellar, where a dedicated drinks expert showed us exactly how to pair various types of cheese and drinks. It was really fun. Oh, I'd love to have a go at that. Well, check out their list of events. Just go to theswoop.co.uk or pop by and see them at 36 Green Street. I'll probably see you there. I'm doing a cocktail masterclass next and Simon is doing one on beers. The cost of living is impacting people across the whole of Cambridgeshire. If you're finding it impossible to make ends meet, Cambridge City Food Bank is here to provide emergency food support. To access our services, you need to be referred for a food bank voucher by a local agency, such as Citizens Advice, the local council, church, or your child's school. Once you have your voucher, bring it to your nearest food bank centre during one of our weekly sessions. We have eight centres located across the city and beyond, which are open throughout the week. Our centres are warm, welcoming, and non-judgmental places. No one should ever feel ashamed to ask for help. And the grave reality is that more and more people are struggling. For more information on how to get a food bank voucher, please visit cambridgecity.foodbank.org.uk. And we're talking smart gardening, and we've just been speaking about how you can sensibly time when you're going to deliver water, uh, maybe integrate that with a, a weather sensor or soil moisture sensor, but how do you actually get it into the plants? So, of course, the watering needs differ from pots, containers, hanging baskets, beds, borders, to lawns, so... You've got to think about each of those as a different requirement, which also means if you want to water multiple types of things like that, you might need a, uh, a multi-way tap connector. So these are available like you do a multi-way power adapter for your electricity. You get a, uh, a thing that plugs into your tap that gives you multiple outlets, each with their own regular tap, but then that you can attach timers and smart controllers to. And of course, that means that you could you could either put one timer before the the multi-way split, yeah. or split and then have multiple timers coming off of that. Which is what a lot of people might want to do because they might want to water their hanging baskets and their pots a lot less uh, in terms of the length of time that they're watering than, for example, the veg that you've got in a small patch at the bottom of the garden. Yeah. Uh, so types of watering that you can then feed from those controllers. Two main ones that you want to think about, which are both fairly uh, eco-conscious in terms of the amount of water because they are targeted systems, are uh, drip watering systems. There's micro-drip and easy-drip. Lots of the manufacturers do these. I looked at Hoselock because Hoselock were well-priced and well-known and all of their connectors fit onto pretty much everyone else's connectors. Fortunately, we seem to have standardized on that. So uh, drip watering is for your larger things like um, shrubs, plants, borders, veg. And micro uh, watering is for things like pots and baskets and hanging things. So that's for your smaller plants. Right. So that, that's you just literally want a few, you know, a small dribble of water to to satisfy one pot versus the the easy drip which is more a spray this area of my border catch all the plants yes. that that might be in that bit 
Yes, and of course the amount of spray can be dialed back quite a lot, almost to a dribble, so yep. that you're just gently dribbling next to that tomato or next to whatever you've got in the garden that needs that water. So uh, these are designed that you almost target a an, a watering outlet per plant or per a small group of plants. Certainly the pot, pot one, the... Uh, Easy drip micro watering system is one drip per pot. Uh, and this is something that isn't going to be obvious once you've got it installed. It's not something you're going to be looking at and, and seeing day in, day out, as it is typically it's some, some dark coloured hose yeah. that you can maybe bury even under the soil. And then something that looks a little bit like a tent peg or uh, uh, one of those sort of plant labels uh, that you shove in the soil next to the, uh, next to the base of the plant. Yes. Now, lastly, I found a, a very smart system which fits in well with the water butt, but if you haven't got a water butt, they do do a reservoir which can be connected up, which then has a float in it. You can attach to ah, the tap. Nice. It fills the reservoir and feeds from that, and this is allowed even if there's a hose pipe ban. Right. Uh, so this is the Irrigatia watering system, and it's interestingly solar-powered as well. So it's ah, weather responsive neat. and solar powered. It looks at how much rain there has been, how much sunlight there has been, how dry things are. So all of those sensors we talked about, £81 gets you the kit, which then uh, is able to water. That will take care of, uh, that'll give you 12 drippers, 15 metres of tube, uh, the system itself. So that can do 12 20 litre pots or 12 tomatoes or 24 peppers or 36 strawberries. You get the idea of how these can be built up as a system you can add additional kits to the system feed it from that water butt it's got a little pump that goes in the water butt that then Neat. takes the water and and feeds it through the irrigation system or with their float reservoir system so the kit 82 pounds the reservoir system if you need it another 15 pounds on top of that so under 100 pounds you can have a fully automated watering system that is going to be hose pipe ban friendly and take care of at least 12 pots if you've got pots and baskets in the garden. Uh, and that that's, uh, uses the solar power not only to charge the batteries, but also to de detect how much to water. So yes. the, the sunnier it is, the more water it's going to do, which I thought was quite a quite a neat little uh, system. Rather than having to, uh, to have extra soil moisture sensors, it's probably a pretty fair thing that the sunnier days are the ones that you're going to want to, uh, to, to water on more. Yes, anyway, we'll explore further gardening smart technology in future Gadget Guides. Cambridge 105 Radio. 